yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. All of our lives have been shaped in some way by the leaders around us. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Some of which we've never met and seem a world away. Others are close to home and know us well. It's easy to look outside of ourselves and identify great leaders. But how did they get there? And what can we learn from their journey to be the leaders God has called us to be? Let's look at the makings of a great leader. Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. I want to welcome those of you who join us uh, right now on the internet or in an off-site campus or in one of the venues here at Long Point in the chapel. We want to say hey to you. Uh, glad you're with us today. Let's pray for the Cubs, okay? Just really, we, it's a rough week. Maybe you want to light a candle this morning and wherever you are for the Cubs and your pastor. Have you know God's on the throne regardless of who wins on September the 8th, or no, is it November the 8th, or the Cubs? Either way, God's on the throne, amen? <laughs> I'm so glad you guys are here. It's gonna be a great, great, great weekend, and already has begun as that. We're in a series on leadership. <clears throat> Would you agree with me that there is a severe leadership crisis in our country right now, would you? And I'm not even talking about politics necessarily, although I would include that. But uh, there's a recent article uh, in Psychology Today that asked this question, why, why, or this, this statement, why leadership development programs fail to produce good leaders. And here's what it says. It says, most leadership development programs, either at the university level or through seminars and training, have failed to produce good leaders. A lot of you, uh, if you work in business, um, there's some type of leadership development program that your business does because it's, a, it's at crisis level everywhere. I talk to business leaders, I talk to church leaders, and uh, this is a major issue. And you may be going through a program right now, and what they say is that they fail to produce good leaders. Leadership must be important. More than uh, 20,000 books and thousands of articles have been written about the critical elements of leadership and the Im impact it makes on people, organizations, and countries, if not the world. Yet, even today, despite the collective wisdom of centuries on this topic, confidence in our leaders is low and continues to decline. 77% uh, of those polled nationwide in the U.S. say that the country now has a crisis in leadership. 77% say that the country now has a crisis in leadership. This poll was taken in 2012. You think the, the number might be higher even now, okay? And confidence levels have fallen to the lowest levels recorded in recent times. And what it's saying is that even though we're putting a lot of emphasis business-wise on leadership development and in universities on leadership development, we're not producing leaders, okay? Uh, there's a leadership crisis, not only in business, but, uh, oh, we have more. In the past two decades, 30% of Fortune 500 chief executives have lasted less than three years. Top executive failure rates are as high as 75%, rarely less than 30%. Chief executives are now lasting an average of 7.6 years 
on a global average down from 9.5. According to the Center for Creative Leadership, 38% of new chief executives fail in their first 18 months on the job. We have a leadership crisis. Not only that, we have a leadership crisis in the church. In the church. I will be leaving uh, this afternoon to go to, uh, to London and we're convening. We're doing this every six months and we're, we're convening uh, a group of 50 of the uh, prevailing churches uh, in the UK. And so I'll be speaking to about 350 to 400 uh, leaders in the church. And the whole topic this week is leadership development because it is at crisis level. In fact, uh, in the church, um, I think I've got some t- statistics here. Uh, one study says only 17% of members are predicted to be aged between 20 and 44 by 2025. I don't know if that means anything to you, but that's, that's what churches are talking about. How are we gonna reach millennials? How are we reaching the next generation? And frankly, by and large, churches aren't, and, and the statistics are, are not good. Um, in Christianity Today, I uh, ran an article, are we facing a leadership crisis in the church? And here's what they said. They said, three reasons that younger leaders are disappearing. And it's talking about um, pastors. How, how do you... Um, How do you become a pastor and what's going on in that realm? And here's what I said. Number one reason that they're disappearing is ministry education models are unsustainable. They're unsustainable. Um, If you wanted to be a pastor in a typical church situation, how do you do do it? How do you get the training that's needed? Well, you, you go to a university, you rack up student loan debt, then you go to a uh, a seminary that are incredibly expensive, rack up some more student loan debt. As Dave Ramsey told us just a few weeks ago, Dave Ramsey, God, God bless him, he, he's a Tennessee fan. And uh, so <laughs> we got him a ticket to a Gamecock game this week and it just was such a joy uh, to see the Gamecocks beat Tennessee. But anyway, so, so Dave, Dave, uh, Dave said that that's one of the major problems in America is the student debt. I mean, you rack it up, rack it up, rack it up. Well, in seminary, think about this, think about this. When you do student debt in uh, just normally, you're hoping for a great paying job. Well, the church world is not the greatest paying jobs in the world. In fact, they're, they're at, a, at a lower basis. And so you come out with student debt and, uh, and, uh, and, then, and then walk into a lower paying job. Ministry education models are unsustainable. Secondly, millennials' disillusionment makes it hard for them to see themselves leading. In fact, in the article, let me read just a little bit, it says that many studies uh, and blogs are reporting how young adults perceive evangelical Christianity to be too political, too exclusive, old-fashioned, unconcerned with social justice, hostile to lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. They're tired of culture wars, false choices, and inauthenticity within the church. And so a lot of millennials are going, hey, I don't want to lead that. And part of what's leading to it is when they go away to universities, um, I read a statistic this week that said uh, only 5% of the professors, and I thank God we've got professors in our church that feel called to the public university system. 5% of the professors in the public university system uh, hold a conservative Christian uh, viewpoint, world viewpoints. In other words, 95% don't. And that's kind of the indoctrination that we're getting. Number three, emerging leaders often don't fit existing leadership models. Rex Miller uh, in the Millennium Matrix describes a transition in leadership models that began around 
2010, just six years ago. He says that in the broadcast era, which was from 1950 to 2010, we were looking for a leader who was commanding and forceful. That's what we want in leadership. In this style, a leader's influence was established by their achievements and rapport with others. But now in a digital age, we look for leaders who facilitate collaboration and whose resource and relational networks establish their influence. I see that. I see that. I, I'm, born, I'm born during the broadcast age, you know, and it's a Moses leadership style. You go to the mountain, you get God, come back, and this is what we're going to do. And I'm seeing in our younger leaders more collaboration, uh, just a different leadership style. They're wrong, but it's okay. It's good. Okay? <laughs> so so we, we have a crisis. I don't mean that. We have a crisis of leadership and, and an even bigger crisis of leadership development in our country, in our businesses, in the church, and in our families. Now, this crisis is not a new one. This crisis has existed for generations and generations and centuries and centuries. In fact, let me ask you this question. In the Bible, this is audience participation, in the Bible, other than Jesus, who would you say is the greatest leader that the Bible kind of talks about? David. David would be one. Most people would say Moses. Both of those are good answers. Moses is the right answer. It's uh, <laughs> the one I'm going to use. But anyway, David was good. He really was. I like David too. But they would say Moses. Moses was this humble. Have you read that part of Scripture that says that Moses was the most humble leader that ever lived? Did you read that? That's in Genesis. Uh, Moses wrote Genesis, most people think. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. I, they say somebody else might have wrote that part. But anyway, so Moses is this humble, God-fearing, conscientious guy. And he's got a characteristic that a lot of, like, big-time successful leaders don't have. He's teachable. He's teachable. Most of us are teachable in the early stages when we haven't done it yet, okay? But you get a leader that has done it and done it on a big stage, seldom are they teachable. Think about Moses. Moses is this guy who has a hard time speaking. He's had failures in his life. He has to go away to another country. God calls him, burning bush. You know the whole story. He goes to Egypt and uh, uh, tells the Pharaoh, we want to get out of there. God sends 10 plagues. He leads couple of million people across the desert right up close to the promised land. That's success. Would you agree with me? That is success. And yet, at the height of his success, his father-in-law comes to, uh, to, to see him, which could be volatile at any rate. Um, um, I, I'm just going to leave it there. And so, his father-in-law comes, and Mo takes him out to see what he does. He says, I want you to see what I'm doing. And let's look, take a look at the scripture on that. It says, when his father-in-law, what was his father-in-law's name? Do you know? Jethro. 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 Last night I got off on a just wild thought. Jethro was his name Mo, and that was bingo. And anyway, whatever, but we won't go there because it was spontaneous, and it's not right now. Uh, when his father-in-law, Jethro, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people are stand around you from morning to evening? Think about this. Mo well, let's see what Moses says. Moses answers, because the people come to me to seek God's will. I'm the man. I'm the man of God. Think about the lines. Can you imagine the lines of people? There's a couple of million of them. They've got questions and all day long, and Moses is answering their question. He's God's man for the hour. I'm the only one that can do it. <laughs> 
Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and in judge and instructions. He's doing his best and it's a pretty heady thing. His father-in-law goes, what you're doing is not good. Now, most big-time leaders, I won't mention any names, would go, you know, who are you? I mean, what gives you the right to say that? Let me tell you something about quality leaders is they are teachable. In fact, one of my friends wrote a book recently called The Key to Everything, and I thought, key to everything, that's a little bit arrogant, isn't it? Do you know what the key to everything is, according to him? It's teachability. Teachability. And Moses, at this point, is teachable, and so his father-in-law says, you gotta do it differently, and gives him a plan. We call it the Jethro plan. And basically what it was, he says, I want you to go and hire some people. I want you to hire leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Do you remember the first week of this series? How many of you were here for the first week of the series when I talked about everybody's a leader in some degree and some people are gifted to be leadership leaders and there are platforms of leadership? Not everybody has the same platform. That's what he's talking about. He's saying some people are better with 10 people and some people are great with 100 and some people are better with 500. And did you know that leaders that lead thousands, I know lots of those, are usually pretty lousy one-on-one. Okay, but they can get up and speak to thousands. I know one of them real personally, you know, real personally. But anyway, whatever. But so there are, there, are, there are levels of leadership. And he says, I want you to go hire people that, and you just take the hard cases. So Moses listened to him, and it worked temporarily, at least for a season. But I'm gonna make a case that it was disastrous for future generations not because of the structure of leadership, but because of this. I think Moses filled the positions, but he failed to build the people. And it's, for me to talk about the greatest leader in the world, I, I was, as I was preparing for this message, and I kind of got this revelation that I'm giving to you right now, I thought, one day I'll probably have to stand eye to eye with Moses, and he'll say, what were you thinking? I mean, you know, no, he's teachable. But here's what I think. Follow me on this. Fill the position, but fail to build the people. Why do I think that? Well, let me give you the case. One of Moses' assistants was a guy named Joshua. Do you ever you remember Joshua? Moses died. Joshua's the guy that when he became a leader in Joshua chapter one, God says to him over and over and over again, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, nine times, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Why do you think God said that to him? Because he was afraid. The brand new leader. He's got a big job and he's following the greatest leader that's ever lived. That's usually called the interim, okay? They're gonna like you for a little while until you don't uh, do what they think that you should be able to do. Then they're gonna get somebody else in there. Anybody understand that? So he's afraid, he's afraid, he's afraid. But he steps up and he does a great job at leading and uh, taking the, the, the promised land. And then it comes to the end of his life and what I think is one of the saddest, this scripture haunts me all the time, if you wanna know the truth. This, this scripture, the next one. One of the saddest passages in the Bible. Judges 2, verses seven, it says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. He did a great job. And the elders who outlived him, that was his friends and buddies. Yeah, um, and, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, wow. And they buried him in the lands of his inheritance. And then it says after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Look at this. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. 
And then the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Now, why is that? Why is that so powerful and so sad? Within two generations of the greatest leader that the world had ever seen, it went away. Two generations. Moses' grandkids didn't serve the Lord. Joshua's kids didn't serve the Lord. Two generations later, that's why I would say that Moses filled the position, but I'm not sure he developed the people. In fact, if you look at Judges, the story of Judges is just, it's like up and down and up and down. And they would have a leader. That leader would do well. He'd follow the Lord. He was uh, honest, consistent, humble, uh, you know, all of those things. And the, the Israelites would do great and they would make progress. And then his son or the next leader would be disastrous and they would lose all of the progress that they had made. And it's up and down. If you just read the book of Judges, it's up and down, up and down. They never fixed the problem. They never figured out it's not just a position. We've got to build into the next generation and into the generation after that. You know what? I, I, I love this church. I love this church. I've been, uh, I've been here uh, 28 years. This church was a vision in my heart. And other people got the vision. And, and, uh, and some of you are here today because we're going to make a big announcement. And you thought, well, maybe Greg's leaving. Nope. It's going to be a disappointment to some of you, you know. I ain't leaving. I don't plan on ever leaving. In fact, I'd like a burial plot out here somewhere. I'm not that big of a guy. Give me a little deal right here. Just bury me with my boots on right here. Because I plan on serving until I'm 110 or whatever God gives me here. No, but, but I tell you what, I love this church. And, and gang, we're just two generations away I believe in the culture that we're in right now. We are two generations away from losing everything. Or two generations away from seeing God do greater and more incredible things than he's done in our lifetime. You know, either we're gonna be a museum to what God used to do, or we're gonna be an example of what God can do in the future. And so what I wanna talk to you about is I wanna talk to you about the urgency. Can you say urgency together? urgency. I want to talk to you about the urgency of leadership development and how important it is. We've seen in the Bible what happens when they didn't. What, what, what can we do and how can we avoid what we've seen? We're in a series called POTUS. P was platform. O was obscurity. T was thresholds. The leadership will rise to the threshold of our pain. And today we want to talk a little bit about urgency. Let me, let me give you three things. Here's the first one. Number one, accept personal responsibility. What does that mean? That means you. That means you. Accept personal responsibility for developing the people around you. This isn't just the job of the youth pastor or the college minister or the teacher at school or the HR department in your business. If we're going to do anything, and see, I'm just crazy enough to think that we can dent, we can make a dent in the leadership crisis politically in the future, we can make a dent in the leadership crisis in businesses, we can make a dent in the leadership crisis in our church, 
and in our neighborhood. See, it, it doesn't matter as much what happens in Washington or Wall Street or Main Street as what happens in your street. And we have to take personal responsibility for leadership development. Do you remember in the first week of this series, we made a case that we're all leaders. We lead ourselves. Most of us lead at least one other person. That's called parenting. Or maybe it's somebody coming to you and saying, I see something in you. Could you mentor me in that? So here's what I want you to do as we begin right now. I want you to think about the people in your world. Who's in your world? See, God has placed you at a strategic place in your world. You could have been born at any time in history. Would you agree with that? You could have been born any place. You could have lived any place. But you live right here, right now. Who's in your arena? Who, who, who are the kids around you that you have responsibility for? Who is it in, on your sports team? Who is it in your, in your business or in the department, uh, in your ministry? I want you to think about them. I want you to think about them. God has placed these people around you right now except personal responsibility for developing them, okay? Why? There's a lot of reasons. I mean, there's some uh, selfish reasons in a sense. The people closest to you will determine the level of your success, okay? Whoever's around you will determine the level of your success at some point. So why not invest in them? Invest in them. Here's the second one. They can help you carry your load. They can help you carry your load. I, uh, before we came here, we were in a farming community in northern Illinois. That's back when they had a lot of family farms. Those have been bought by corporations these days. But when there were family farms, guess what? Farmers had a lot of kids. Why did they have a lot of kids? Because they loved their spouses? Well, that's part of it. They love the kids? Yeah, that's true. But more kids was more help for the farm. It's just practical. Okay, I know when I started Seacoast, when David and I came here years ago, first thing we looked for was leaders. Uh, we had a passion for unchurched people. But we looked for leaders. We looked for people like Ron Hamilton at the West Campus and uh, Stephen Jan Radikoff, uh, who helped us with our worship and various ones uh, because we needed people not just to hang out and be friends with, we needed that, but we needed people to help carry the load. And I began right away to begin investing in them. So how can you invest in the people around you? In the, they can help carry your load. Uh, in fact, here, here's, here's what I would say. Can you, can you hear me on this? Can you hear me on this? If you feel overwhelmed right now, if you feel, I got too much to do, maybe it's as a parent, maybe it's in a business, maybe it's in whatever you're doing, and you feel overwhelmed, can I be so bold as to say it's probably, could be a leadership development issue? There are people around you, here's a phrase God gave me a few years ago, what's a burden for you is a blessing for somebody else. That was for me. I was like overwhelmed, and the Lord showed me. You know what? I've given you all the people that you need around you to help carry the load. I, Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Doesn't mean I won't, you know, when I become a Christian, I sit around and don't do anything. No, I think Christians ought to accomplish more than anybody on the planet. We're the most positive people on the planet. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it's a leadership development issue, and there are people around us. It's a burden to you, Mom it would be a blessing to your child to be able to learn how to do that and help you with that load. In your department, it's a burden to you, but there are people around you that are going, and you're going, I wouldn't want to give anybody that job. You know what? There are people that would love to have that job, would love to help you. That, how do I know that? Because if God has called you there, he's placed the people around you. He's waiting for you to develop them. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, the third one is this. They multiply your effectiveness. They multiply your effectiveness. See, 
Um, the uh, great leaders aren't threatened by people with great potential. I know leaders that, that are, act like a lid in their department or a lid in their church because they won't let people that are smarter than them, more talented than them, rise to service because they're jealous and afraid they might get their job. You know what that is? That's a scarcity mentality. And God is not a God of scarcity. God has abundance. His mercies, guess what, are new every morning. Have you ever looked at a waterfall? Have you ever stood and looked at a waterfall? And in a waterfall, those, I went to North Carolina one time and I saw this real big one, you know, and this, all this water coming over. Did you know that the, that the water coming over that fall is fresh every day? It's not the same water as today. It's not the same water as yesterday. It's not the same as tomorrow. There's fresh, God's mercies, God's mercies to you are new. They're fresh. God's got more than enough for everybody. Don't be jealous of people around you. Build them, build them, build them. In fact, great leaders hire people that are smarter than them. That was fairly easy for me, okay? People say, people say well, you've got such great leaders around here. Won't they get your job? Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Nobody can kick me out. I got here first. You know what, you know what I'm saying, okay? So anyway, we gotta go. I, this is so much fun, and I have so much to cover. Uh, Book of Judges, they never got it right. Um, nobody did a good job. They never fixed the problem. Not a good job of leadership development. And I want us individually and as a church to make a commitment to developing the people around us. Ne let it never be written of Seacoast Church and of our children that another generation grew up who knew neither God nor what he had done for his people, okay? The last word on us will be that the people around us flourish because we prioritize investing in them. Let me give you a second one. Learn to honor the past and serve the future. If we're gonna fix the leadership problem, we've gotta learn to honor the past and serve the future. Now, God, God I, I've said many times before that you know, we, we live in, in minutes, days, and hours, and God lives in generations. Okay, sometimes you go, well, where is God in all of this? Well, sometimes you've gotta, you know, maybe you had something that happened to you or a family member or a friend. And in the moment, it was like, where's God in all of this? And 20 years later, you go, oh, wow. I see where God was in all of this. That's why, it, don't get bitter at God in the moment. God, God has a perspective that, that is forever, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, he lives in generations. And, and in the Bible, you see a lot of patterns of three generations. Uh, here's, here's a scripture. I've got a lot of them on your outline sheet. I, won't, I don't take time to say them. It says, the Lord of your God and the Father is the God of who? Say this together. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. How many generations are there? Could have referred to one, but he refers to three. You see this pattern regularly. Look at the scriptures on your outline sheet. You can see that later. Threes. And so God, in speaking to you, is speaking in generations, not just in hours and months and days. He's speaking to you in your generation, the generation before you, and the generation after you. It's not about you, okay? I love that, the opening to Rick Warren's book, Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. It's not. If you're a millennial, it's not about you. If you're a boomer, it's not about you. If you're Generation X, it's not about you. What is it about? It's about generations. You're a piece of a story. I'm a piece of a story. There are people that came before me and people that are coming after me. If you're fairly new in this church, somebody bought your chair. Somebody paid for the real estate that you're walking on. 
and you will contribute to the future of those ahead of you. And you've got to honor the past. I'm trying to do that. My father is living with us now. I love that. When he moved from California, in fact, we moved him into our barn just this week. This has been an incredible week. But anyway, we moved into a house, and he moved into the barn, and we live next door, and it's awesome. And I told him at 82 years old, when he came from California, and he was mourning in grief over the death of his wife, I said, I believe these are going to be the greatest years of your life. You're going to be around family. We are going to honor you. And one of my priorities every day is to think about honoring the past and honoring my father. If you want to have a good long life, selfishly, you need to do that. But I'm also serving the future, serving the future. And I'm a grandpa. How many of you are grandpas right now? Anybody? Anybody a, a grandpa? Anybody? Anybody? Um, yeah. Let, let, let me just do this illustration first. Okay, here we go. Here we go. What is this? Relay, relay stick? We're all in a relay race, right? Okay? We're all in a relay. It's not just about you. I used to think, uh, I used to say this, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But you know what it is? It's a marathon relay. It's a, life is a marathon relay. You run your lap. You ever seen a relay? They run a lap, and they hand it off to the next person. The person that's running that first lap, here's their responsibility. Stay in your lane. Run the best race you possibly can, and don't screw up the, the baton pass. Okay, that's, that's, that's what they do. And then once the baton is passed, then you help the, the, the okay, you got one generation here. You help the next generation get their, everything in, in line to be ready to take that pass. So it's three generations. You got that? You're running your race. You hand it off to the next person, and then you help the, the next generation get ready to, to get the baton. All right, that's God's pattern and God's plan. If you're the second one in the relay race, okay, you're getting the baton. Your responsibility, there is a, there's a, like 10 yards or whatever it is where the baton pass happens. That's the most crucial part. In fact, I saw you know, a great relay team in the last Olympics drop the baton during that time and was disqualified. You don't want to be disqualified. And your responsibility is to get up to speed before you get the baton. I was talking to a business leader the other day that was wanting to hand his business off to the next generation. He said, here's the problem. The guy that I want to hand it to, he just wants the baton, but he doesn't want to get up to speed doesn't want to pay the price to get up to speed. Your responsibility is to get up to speed, get the baton, stay in your lane, run your race, hand it off to the next one and do well at that, and then help the next generation do it. It's just an ongoing thing. Do you understand that? Part of that is a pattern of grandparenting. I love being a grandparent. I learned a lot about being a grandparent from a man named Billy Hornsby. Anybody remember Billy? Billy was on staff here. He was my best friend. And um, he was the best grandparent I'd ever seen in my life. I said, Billy, teach me how to be a grandparent. He said, you need two things, two C's to be a grandparent. You need candy, okay? You need candy, come on. You need candy. And you need cash. You need cash. Get you a candy drawer and have some cash in your pocket all the time. And then, and then I also learned from him, he said, and that earns you the right to build into the next generation. And I watched him as his grandkids would go through spiritual crisis and they'd go through emotional crisis or they had attitude problems and he would step in. He'd go around the parent in a good way. He said, this is my job. And he'd take them on a ride because they worship Pa. They put up with mom and dad, they like them, but they worship Pa. Let me tell you, being a grandparent is awesome. They worship you. And so Debbie and I were thinking about our role in the next few years 
It's an exciting role. We're going to do that. We've got 14 grandkids. The oldest one's nine. There will be some emotional crisis like every day right now. But <laughs> as they get older, as teenagers, I want to be there. I want to have the relationship to step in and just build in them. Okay? There will be times maybe when some will spiritually start to wonder, I want to be there. That's my job. I'm excited about my job. Can I tell you that in this church now, I'm a spiritual grandparent. Most of you know, this is no secret, we are transitioning to the next generation right now. We've got a whole group of, you know, 20, 30, 40-year-olds led by Josh Surratt, my son, Jason, and John Holm, and Josh Walters, and just a whole group of them. And, um, and they're doing a great job. They're leading right now. I, I'm free to speak, which I love to do, and, and, and lead at ARC, and plant new churches, and all of that. But you know what? I have a role at Seacoast that's so exciting, and I'm just beginning to really see what it is. Because I'm freed up of re your responsibility for you. You guys aren't my responsibility anymore. You're, you're their problem, okay? <laughs> my responsibility is to be a grandparent to your kids and your grandkids, a spiritual grandparent. Do you know what a spiritual grandparent does? Just like there are two C's to regular grandparenting, there are two keys Two keys to, uh, to spiritual grandparenting. And, and, and here's, what, here's, here's what they are. It's trust and opportunity. Trust, that's what they get. Older people want to be honored and, re they need honor and security. The next generation, they need trust and opportunity. They just want to know people believe in them and give them opportunity for leadership. And that's what I want to do. So, 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 let me, let me just ask you, if we're going to avoid a, a judge's 210 leadership crisis, we've all got to do our part. We've all got to say, you know what? It's not just about me, but it's about the next generation. You know, something I like about this church, I see little guys, 10-year-olds, 12-year-olds with a nerve to serve t-shirt, which says, hey, I'm serving the, the kids that are three, four, five years younger than me. They do that in the children's department every week. I love our, our student ministry that John and Kelly lead, John and Kelly home, uh, because there are a lot of college kids and young adults that are leading in that area. And you know what? They are closer to high school and middle school kids, and, and, and they can have an impact. So if you're, if you're a grandparent like me, think about who am I spiritually investing in. So let me give you an opportunity about how we're going to do this. And this is, we're going to do a big announcement. Did you know that today? Here it is. Decide to live out a vision that outlives you. I want to introduce you to Dr. Kent Engel. Uh, Dr. Engel, would you come? Would you welcome him? And, and uh, you're going to love this guy. Dr. Engel, thanks for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Uh, let's talk just a little bit about uh, these people don't know who you are um, or why you're here, and we're going to do that together. Uh, you were, before you got into education, which is what you're in now, you were a sportscaster. Is that right? In the Los Angeles market? Yeah. You know, God opened up a door for me. The first 10 years of my vocational career was to be in television sports and was able to finish that career in Los Angeles working for NBC. I heard that you uh, interviewed Michael Jordan one time. I did. It was a great privilege to interview Michael. and interviewed a lot. I mean, being in the Los Angeles market, you had access to some incredible sports athletes, and so he was one that I had a chance to interview. Was he as exciting to talk to as I am? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Good. I don't know. All right. 
<laughs> that was years ago. Now you're in education, have been for a long time. And you are the president of Southeastern University. Yes. Tell me a little bit about Southeastern. Well, Southeastern University is one of the fastest growing universities in the nation. In fact, the Chronicle of Higher Education just named us in the top 10 fastest growing universities. We are the fastest growing in the state of Florida. Our main campus is located in Lakeland, Florida. And we are a Christ-centered, student-focused uh, university that comes alongside students to uh, raise them up, integrating faith, learning, and life. Uh, we have, one of the things that's exciting about what we do is, is not only do we get to provide great community and culture that helps you to study uh, the call that God has upon your life, but we have also great athletic programs. In fact, 10 of our top teams went to the Nationals last year wow. to compete. In fact, yesterday, our football team won its second straight conference championship. Well, that's important. We're excited. I like that. Now, you guys, so one of the top 10 fastest growing universities in America, and you guys do extension sites. Tell me a little bit about that. Why do you do that? Well, be, also, not only did I have the chance to be a, a broadcaster, but God opened a door for me to be a lead pastor. Mm -hmm. I was able to lead a couple of churches, one in Los Angeles and one in Chicago. And I felt the same passion that you have so clearly articulated today. It is a responsibility of the local church to invest in the next generation of leaders. And I went to some universities and felt, you know, education needs to be a part of that. And I went to universities around our, our church, but no one had anything to partner with us to bring that kind of component uh, into the local church. So when God opened the door for me to step in as president of Southeastern University, we built a team that felt a mandate to come alongside the local church to provide education opportunity in two ways, to make it accessible. Because we know that a lot of students can't necessarily come to our main campus in, in Lakeland, Florida, but we can take the campus to where you are. We can bring education to you. In fact, we use the term taking scholarship to the streets. And so we felt it important to provide accessibility uh, for ongoing education, to become all that God has called you to become. The second component, and you touched on it as well uh, today, is, is affordability. You mentioned Dave Ramsey talking about how debt is, is significant for college students. We realize that too, and it is a problem. And Extension Campus is a way to answer that problem. So we provide, what we have done is created a program, created uh, a, a campus opportunity where we significantly reduce the tuition of a college experience. So we have, we have uh, lessened the tuition. It's, it's way, uh, uh, the cost more, it's, uh, it's more effective uh, at an extension than on campus. In fact, it's less expensive than our online programs to do extension. So we have provided these extension campuses for those two purposes of affordability and accessibility. You said uh, last night that one of the things that you'd like to see is, is uh, students graduate debt-free. Oh, absolutely. There's no reason why. Uh, I believe that God has given us the ability as we steward these gifts, and, and every student to us is a gift. And if we are good stewards of those gifts, God can enable us to provide a, a platform to help students with the call and significantly help them as it relates to debt. So here's the big announcement. In order to help with the leadership, we, not just help, we want to make a dent in the leadership development crisis. We are announcing today the establishment of Seacoast College yes. right here in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. What do you think about that? 
Let me get the dates right. The enrollment will begin on January 2017. The first school year will be fall of 2017. We're going to be offering associate's degrees in uh, general associate of arts, right. which would be just like any other college, um, also in ministry and in worship leading. And so we already have a school of worship and uh, we're going to fold that into it. And so, in other words, if, if I'm a parent, I could send my child for two years to Seacoast and, and then go to, I think, any university. Oh, wants. sure. You can, uh, I mean, we're a regionally accredited university, so uh, the courses you take, the classes you take, the credits you earn uh, as you further your education, that can transfer, whether it's to Clemson or the University of South Carolina or wherever what you was may that go. Last one? South South Carolina, that, that's great, It's awesome. So, so we, you can do it right here. Yes. And uh, so how do I know if this program is a good fit for uh, me or, because some of us are a little beyond the normal college years, we can do that too. But what, sure. how do I know it's good for me or my student? Well again, I think uh, the awareness first of all of the call of God upon your life. I mean our mission, uh, I mean our passion is your passion to come alongside a generation of people who understand that God has divinely designed you. And, and, a, and a scripture that we apply to our lives, and it's a, it's a scripture that every single one of us should celebrate every day. You are a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he planned long ago. Uniquely made, you're, you're connected to Christ, that's your source, and, and he's created you, he's brought you into this world because he wants to use you as a solution. He wants you to serve and be a leader. Mm -hmm. The only way you can become the best leader uh, ever in, in terms of that call, you need education in your life. And so right here at Seacoast, you have an opportunity to have education in your life. As you mentioned, we're starting out in this first year, you can earn an AA, but, but you can begin to grow and develop in degree completion. Maybe you never finished a degree. Uh, and, and you would love to go back and finish that. We, we will have opportunity to provide that. Bachelor's degrees, even graduate degrees, it will continue to grow. But the, but the most important thing, we must never stop learning and growing in that call, in that design that God has put upon our lives. And that will be provided right here for the sons and daughters of this house mm. to be able to continue to do I that. love that. Let me tell you something. Uh, oh, I don't know if I ought to say this or not. I will. Do it! I'm on a couple of boards of colleges, and you guys invited me down a couple of years ago uh, to speak at your chapel and to just tour and to talk to all of your administrative leadership. I came home and said, if I have any role in it, my grandkids are going to Southeastern. And, and we began, because I loved what I saw there, the excellence, the passion, all of that. And, and we began talks at that point about, well, what if we could do it here? And what if we could be a part of that? So uh, what are the next steps that I can take if I'm interested? Well, right out, right out in the lobby, we have a booth. We have several of our, our enrollment counselors that are here that can answer questions that you might have. Uh, I know there's a website that's yeah, been created. In, in, uh, if you're not here at the Mount Pleasant campus, this is for all of our campuses, uh, there's uh, in your bulletin, you just received this, and there's seacoast.org front slash college that gives information about what's coming up. Yeah, so I would plug in as, as fast as you can because these are gonna be some great opportunities, again, to integrate your faith 
with learning and life uh, as you grow in your call. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thanks for being here. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Yeah, just got it. We're going to pour into the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. And one day when you and I stand before God, this is what's exciting. You know what? We're building a bigger building and we're turning this building right here into the, for, for the next generation. Well, that's physically, spiritually, and educationally, we're gonna do the very same thing. And we're gonna build and we're gonna build and someday we're gonna stand before God. And he's gonna ask us, what did you do with what I gave you? And we're not gonna have to fumble around and go, well, you know, I don't know, I was a pretty good golfer, I guess, uh, you know. We're gonna say, you know what? We did the best. We invested financially. We're not taking an offering today. But we, yeah, we are. We take an offering every week. But I mean, it's not like a special one. But we invested financially. Some of you are investing big time in facilities here. You're gonna begin to invest. Some of you, last night, somebody wrote on a thing, I'd like to scholarship some students. And that might be something that God says to you to do. You're gonna invest physically because you're gonna say, I'm gonna look at the generations around me, the people around me differently. You're gonna invest spiritually. You're gonna invest in every way. You're gonna be able to stand before God and say, God, that's what I did with what you gave me. And I believe that the Lord would say, well done, good and faithful servant. So I want you to join me in uh, just owning responsibility, honoring the past, serving the future, and living a life that will outlive me. How about that? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for just how you work in our lives. God, I pray that your, your kingdom would come and your will would be done as we attempt great things for you and through you and with your power. God, this is a, an historic weekend, I believe. Help us to see how we can be a part. In your name we pray, amen.